Well, we're <clears throat> closing in on our series on the I am sayings. This is the traditionally the last one that's given. We're going to do one more after this. But um, I think the purpose of the I am sayings was to give people a sort of broader understanding of what the sacred means. Many of us were taught very childlike images of God when we were young, and we were also taught not to outgrow those ideas. And so very often that idea of God becomes the biggest problem that we have in our spiritual life. Because if you're told that God is this loving parent, and that's the only image you have of God, and then something happens to you that no loving parent would ever do, then the problem is you're stuck in one metaphor. And, um, you know, none of the metaphors work all the way around. I like to think of them as sort of like a a bag of golf clubs. Each one works under different circumstances. But the idea is that you're you're surrounded by the sacred. And what it's calling you to is not religion, but to life. I am was the the thing that Moses heard at at the burning bush. And these are sayings. They're supposed to make you think of the burning bush, this kind of mysterious image of God. But but they're giving multiple images, and not all of them are human. The sacred is like bread. The sacred is like a road. The sacred is like a gate. The sacred is like a shepherd. And in, in some ways, all of those work. But in other ways, all of them fall short. So there are eight I am sayings, and they're all important. I think when we're completely operative, we just have, we love and we're creative and curious. But when we're wounded or hurt, that's when we need these small childlike images. So I like to think of religion like an umbrella where when we're operating on whole, we we really don't even need it, right? We don't, you don't need to look up the Bible if you're happy and loving and kind and all of those things. It's when we've caved in on ourselves that the stories of religion um, become kind of a handle. And the purpose is not to brainwash us into believing something, not to intimidate us in doing something, but instead make us fully operative. And that begins when we find our own heart. That's what these stories are intended to do. Lead us back to our own heart at the childlike level so we can hear that when we're traumatized, but also have symbols that open up. They don't work as mere ideas. They don't work as mere beliefs. They're contradictory. So instead, we have to live them out. In Hinduism, there's a saying, the truth you cannot know, the truth you can only be. And I think that's true, really, of of all religions. Um, Basically, Jesus is saying throughout the book of John, The way you know you're doing it right is when you love. So the, the, the purpose of religion is to work with our humanity until we open up into this sort of universal love. We can't do it all the time because we are animals. We're, we're, we get afraid. We get angry. We get confused. Um, we get tricky. But religion gives us that kind of handle that we can open up into something bigger. At least that's the hope. No one image of the sacred 
uh, covers the basis of all the ways that you may experience the sacred in your life. And I think one of the biggest poverties of Christianity today is that um, people think they've lost faith or that they don't have religion because they've been taught an inadequate uh, vocabulary for expressing the mystery and gratitude they feel all the time, or at least a lot of the time. Um, in some ways, God may be like a, a loving person, a loving parent, but in other ways, that's not what life feels like sometimes. Um, to think of God as an energy or a spirit gives us a whole lot more of a vocabulary to understand our lives. If we think of it like electricity <coughs> to an oven, electricity produces heat to a refrigerator, electricity, the same electricity produces cold to a, a lamp. Electricity produces light to a radio. I don't know what people still have. Do people still have radios and record players? I don't, I don't, the culture's moved beyond me, but um, if there are radios still, um, the electricity is converted to, to sound. That's what's happening when John goes around the, the bush and says, you may experience the sacred like bread. That's one of the I am sayings, something that's just ordinary, but it somehow fulfills you. You may uh, experience that as a kind of a shepherd. Remember that Jesus is almost quoting these wisdom sayings of Sophia and all of these I am sayings. This is coming from the Sophia sayings. So it's also like a shepherd that guides us. Wisdom is like a shepherd that guides us. Uh, and today he's saying it's like a vine. Jesus is speaking as life and saying, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Now, what I hear in this, and of course, you don't have to follow my interpretation. <coughs> but what I hear in this is, first of all, a call to remember that we have roots. When Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. We come out of some kind of depth that we don't understand. Right? It's, we're, we're not just made like a pot, we emerge from the earth. We are expressions of life. Every being on the planet is an expression of that life. We are fingers of one hand. Uh, I guess I could say legs of one centipede. You, you, can, you can take the metaphors as far as you want to. But I think what this first point that I get from this I am saying is that when you feel adrift, when you feel rootless, when you feel lost, Remember that you have roots that go into reality. If there's a invisible being that's making things happen, the way traditional religion says, then your roots go there. <clears throat> if that's a metaphor for this cosmic process, it still works. Uh, today, we're going to look at two more Van Gogh paintings. I'm thinking that uh, just like Somebody like John is trying to come up with images that help us find our own heart. I think Van Gogh was doing that too. Um, can you put up the Van Gogh paintings? Thank you. This is the first one. I couldn't, I couldn't find uh, a, a vine, a grapevine. This is as close as I could get anyway. But this is kind of the image I think that John is trying to paint. Uh, like vines, the, the wood itself was almost useless, uh, but it produced these grapes. 
and the different branches were treated differently by the farmer. Because if there weren't grapes on a branch, then the branch had to be cut off. If you wanted the vine to produce as many grapes as it possibly could, you had to cut off the branches that were just taking the resources uh, from the plant and, uh, and not producing grapes. So could you move to the second one? Please, the second picture. Um, I'm hoping we'll get some of that kind of wisdom idea in there. John, could you, yep. Could you do the second one? Thank you. The wisdom sayings to me, the I am, it kind of personifies this cosmic process. And if you think of the universe as something that's woven, which is a metaphor, then whatever the wisdom is, whatever the process is that puts all of that together, that's where the Sophia sayings came from mystical Judaism. And I think that's the spirit of John's use of the I am sayings. There's something, maybe a person, it may be a process, but there's some wisdom that ties everything together. When Jesus says, I am, it's that source that we come out of, but it's also the, the, the tie that binds everything together. Thank you, John. So I, I think what is, is being said there is that everything's interconnected and there's a depth to things. The Stoats use this image a lot, that idea that we are parts of one body. Paul uses it saying that each person is like an eye or a foot or a leg to this body. That's coming from Stoicism, <clears throat> that rational human beings, loving human beings, just human beings see themselves as parts of all humankind. When somebody sees themselves just as an individual, they can do great damage in the world. When they think it doesn't matter if they pollute, that it doesn't matter if they hurt other people, that they just are measuring ethics by what it means to them, um, that does great damage in the world. So these I am sayings are helping us to understand that we're tied together and ethics has to be ecological then, right? We can't, as great as the enlightenment was, uh, we are not these autonomous individuals. Our lives intertwine. And to be ethical beings, we have to care for one another. The last thing I want to point out about the first idea here <coughs> to remember our roots is that in this mystical system, God is not the object of our lo love, but the source of it. And this is critically important. In traditional religion, you're supposed to muster these feelings for God or for Jesus. That's not what the I am sayings are trying to, to they're not trying to put a guilt trip on you to love God more. It's saying that there's a source of cosmic love or creativity of which you are the expression. And so, you're not being asked to muster up feelings. You're being asked to become aware and open to this great, greater creativity that weaves you together with all that has life and being. So that's the first uh, image I get from this uh, uh, symbol of, of, of vine. The second 
uh, is when we feel overwhelmed to abide in love. John uses the word abide at least six times. <clears throat> and this idea of producing fruit, uh, he, he uses it even more. The idea of a tree that didn't produce fruit was symbolic of a life that is lived in pure selfishness. A life that's, and it's not intended to be a guilt trip. It's trying to say that you and I are not as joyful as we could be. We're not as happy as we could be when we only live for ourselves. Love has many manifestations. I think to a scientist like Einstein, love looked a lot like truth or like science. There there was a, a, a tender creativity in his looking for truth. He was looking for a whole lot more than just uh, objective science. He had a love affair with the universe that was expressed through his science. In the same way, uh, Van Gogh seemed to experience love through his art and painting. By loving beautiful things, by loving many different things, he felt he was going deeper into his own heart, down into his own source. And again, it's not the, the, the symbol of God here is not of a, a being, but of the roots you have that go into being itself. So um, whatever's true, what, whatever is um, beautiful, and then whatever's just. I mean, that's very important in the Stoic worldview that, that we are, are born citizens of the whole. And that love blossoms into justice. We can't love another person if we don't respect and honor their humanity, their needs, their rights. So love grows into a passion for truth. It grows into a passion for, um, for beauty and a passion for, for that all people might be happy, that all people might have what they need. So this second point of abiding in love and having something come up through us to realize that's the purpose of our lives is to express that. Um, so when you're surrounded by, by lies, abiding in love means seeking out the truth. Even if you don't want to look and see how you might be wrong. Listen to what other people are saying. Look for not what you want to believe, but what is true. And in terms of beauty, not always just in terms of artistic beauty, but whatever is deep and profound and moves you, it may even be scary. It may seem ugly at first, but that openness of the heart to, to life and all of its manifestations. And then finally, whatever is good, whatever um, moves towards the beloved community, this kingdom that Jesus was talking about. And finally, and this is the strangest part of our passage, I think. Let life transform you from the beloved child to the adult lover. Now, where am I getting that? When Jesus says, I no longer call you my servants, I call you my friends. Everything I've learned spiritually, I've shared with you. Now, that was not the Jesus that I was taught. 
right? I was taught that Jesus is permanently the adult. I'm permanently the child. Jesus is permanently the shepherd. I'm permanently the sheep. This is in the mystery religions, the moment of, of transference, the moment of, of passing of the torch, the moment of initiation. I no longer call you servants. I call you friends because everything I've learned, I've passed on to you. I'm not wanting to be your boss. I'm wanting to set you free. Um, that idea of <clears throat> giving yourself fully. He says, you know, that if you love me, you'll keep my commands. That sounds like a bully <clears throat> until you realize what the command is that you love each other the way I've loved you. When we look at it with childish eyes, it looks like it's asking us to sacrifice ourselves, to give yourself for others. Sounds like a very bad thing. Until you remember your happiest moments were times when you wanted to be generous. You wanted to be forgiving. And you did it as an expression of your own happiness. So Jesus, I'm doing this so you'll have the same joy I have, that that'll be in your heart and that that, that will grow. In his Hinduism, there's a saying that in life, you can either taste the sugar or you can be the sugar. What I hear that saying is, um, you know, there, sometimes in life, I'm looking for love. And I'm thirsty and I'm willing to use people to get it. And they're the unhappiest times in my life. There are other times when I, I feel I am the sugar. I am the lover. When you have a baby, that's, that's such a blissful time. I mean, it's a terrible time, but it's, it's some of the happiest times too. Although the happiness is wedded to this, um, you know, uh, the baby isn't giving you anything back. It's the opposite of what you thought love was because the baby can only take it first. What they're giving you is the gift of who they are. And that helps you get in touch with the gift of who you are. These are the moments that I feel most like myself. Um, it's not a sacrifice. Uh, does it feel like that anyway? Even though I'm, I'm giving the shirt off my back, it feels like I'm blossoming in joy. I think it's Jesus' way of saying, this Hindu saying, pleasure is tasting the sugar, but bliss is being the sugar. Pleasure is finding love. Bliss is being love. So, Looking at these I am sayings, we've got one more to go. It's the one that causes the trouble. That's what we'll look at next week. Uh, I'm the way, the truth, life. No one comes to God but me. Um, that's caused a whole lot of trouble through the centuries. We're going to see that it's you can't take any of the I am sayings alone. But our passage today about this way of God is sort of like a vine. And Jesus is expressing that as though, He's the tree of life speaking to us, calling us to our own roots. Um,
when we're adrift, it reminds us to remember that we have roots into the cosmos, into God, whatever our creative source is. But we have to realize that cosmic love is not the object of our love, but the source of our love. So there's a revolution that takes place, a transformation that takes place as we realize that. And when we feel overwhelmed by the cruelty, the madness, the um, dishonesty, to abide in love in all of its forms. We may live in an unhappy time, but our heart doesn't have to be unhappy. If we abide in love, if we hold on to it, we can't do it all the time. There are times when you're going to get lost in anger and judgment and bitterness, and you're going to do things that are completely unforgivable, you think. Until you remember that your capacity to err is nothing compared to this infinite grace, this infinite creativity uh, that is nothing but second chances all through eternity. And then third, let life transform you. Let it prune you is the way the, the metaphor goes. Let it transform you from beloved child to adult lover. That's what I think Jesus means when he says, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. Think how lonely it would be if we never grow up. And he is the permanent teacher and we are the permanent students. I think it's a gift that John is trying to give us. Jesus is trying to give us. We have a source. We are interconnected. We should never forget that. We should always abide in that love. Because however pleasurable it is to taste the sugar, it is always more blissful to be the sugar. So these are my musings on this passage. We will take a minute now for you to think about how you understand these words. Marilyn will lead us now in our next song. Where's